most certifications are a terrible way to determine someone's effectiveness at a role, right? Um, and, and the thing is, we don't handle certifications like that in any other industry. In any other industry, we don't handle certifications like that. A certification in any other industry is a minimum requirement. It's a minimum requirement. But for some reason, for our industry, it, it just holds this, this huge weight. So let me say that. The reason we get them, myself included, is because they show up on job descriptions. They get that they get us the interviews. I got my CISSP because it shows up. You know, salute to me. I got my CISSP because it shows up on job descriptions. A lot of people, well, I still don't kind of consider myself an influencer, but I guess I am. Like I had a consultation with a guy you the other day. Bro. He was like, Yeah, man, I know you from YouTube. I feel like I'm talking to a celebrity. <laughs> you an influencer, bro. Hey, I guess I am, man. But there is etiquette when you're reaching out to people, right? Uh, I'm going to pull up a, a screenshot real quick, and we're going to talk about this to see if like you got any wild things like this before. And I think this kind of speak on what you talk about a lot of times, like the entitlement that people have. I don't know what Buddy was going through when he sent this to me. But I'm going <laughs> to put it up right now. I got one. I'm going to pull it up, too. I'm, I'm going to pull up the message. I think I told you about it. Um, yeah, yeah, I can see it. We're I gonna, see it. I'm gonna read it out for the for the listeners or the watchers. It says, "Hey, man, I don't know if you can help me or not, but my computer has a virus. I guess I downloaded malware bytes to clean it. It cleaned it up, <laughs> but now I keep saying it's detecting something and it won't go away. It just always pops up. The power's h- hell on my computer, but malware bytes blocks it every time. But it's going getting annoying. That's what the pop up says from. And as y'all can see, I never accepted that message. I was like, why he thought I was gonna take time out of my day." to troubleshoot something that ain't got nothing to do with me when he can just, he better call Best Buy, the Geek Squad. That's not my job, bro. Yeah, I'm like, why he sent bro, that to that's me? That's wild, man. I, okay, so that's that's wild, man. We got to do the intro, though. We got to do the intro. We got to let the people know what it is before we jump in because we'll just we'll just get to going. We we, we could keep going. We, we hey, Okay. Away. It's All Monday right. morning. Y'all wake up. I know y'all driving to work, man. This is the Textual Talk Podcast. I think this is episode 79. I think it's episode 79. If it's not, the right one will be in the title. I'm your oh, host, me, HD. Yeah. We got your co-host right here. E is for extra in the building. AKA the sock coach. AKA See? recording live from your girl hotel room. Um <laughs> nah, your girl ain't here yet. Your girl ain't here yet. <laughs> it's another installment of the textual talk tech takes. You know, it might be a series, it's maybe the new thing. I know everybody's really vibing with it. And we're coming to give y'all, you know, that hot fire every Monday. But like we were and weird shit, we don't give y'all some weird shit. <laughs> um, but like we was talking about, y'all can't just like people DM me other stuff like, oh, how long have I been on YouTube? A lot of people. So for you guys that don't know me, as much as I like to talk, I do not like small talk on the internet when it doesn't benefit me in a sense. Like, well, get to what you really want to ask me versus trying to get small talk out of me because I don't have time to respond to everybody. I already have enough people reaching out to me on multiple different platforms. I don't have the time for it. On top of if you aren't, uh, if you aren't like if I don't follow you, then it goes to a different message pile like that guy's did. That's why I said accepted or or rejected. So one of the better ways you probably have of actually reaching me is actually commenting on a post. A YouTube video or something. I'm always replying back to those. So if you really want to reach out to me, try to do that because sometimes I see mission requests late, or mm-hmm. my email is in the description. Just email me. That's that's what the email is for. It'll, it'll or you don't check me. it. Like I didn't know how to check like the message request for for a long time. I had no idea how to check it. So 
um, especially on Instagram, because you know, you know, I don't really rock with Instagram like that. So uh, I had like forty or fifty just like unseen messages that I just never saw, and like people, I, I saw messages in there from October, and I was just like, I'm, I mean, do I even reply to this at this point? Like, uh, yeah. So, so here's a question I got for you, because you know, you're you're more of an influencer than I am. Do you even want to be contacted in the DMs? Like, is that are we at a point now where is that even a way for because, you know, you got outside of like you actually working in cybersecurity and you being a, you know, quote unquote influencer. You actually have a business. So do you want is is that, you know, a a sales funnel or a lead funnel that you even utilize? Do you want people reaching out to you on, on DMs via DMs? Yeah, believe it or not, I do a lot of business through DM as well, like initial discovery, but the DM has to be about something, not something like I showed you where a buddy is asking me about his personal computer that I can't help him fix anyway, that I'm not going to go out of my way to fix because I don't get paid for that. Mm-hmm. But people do reach out a lot of times, like I said, in a message request, sometimes I might see it late, but then they'll go to the general pal. So I'm like, if you want to get at me sometimes, eventually I will see it, but email is the best, joining my mailing list or submitting a question through my website are some of the better ways to reach out to me if you are looking to get some help, especially when it comes to your career, because I'm always checking that. Like even the do not disturb, like my emails come through and certain people that I talk to all the time, their messages come to as come through as well. But yeah, yeah, you made made the cut. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I'll say I, I do I do a lot of stuff through like through DM because I try to I reach out to people through DM sometimes too because sometimes they don't have an email up. Like that's one of the hardest mm-hmm. things when it comes to me trying to do this brand deal stuff, or if I'm trying to work with somebody, sometimes they don't have their emails out there. So uh comment or message is like one of the best things. And I added tip, and I was telling you this the other day when it comes to me trying to get different guests on the show. Mm-hmm. A lot of us forget the social part of social media. And so we stop being social and we just X, X, X instead of trying to build right, right, right. some comments and and sharing some stuff and just actually giving some perspective on certain posts. Is that, that's what it's called being social. And then so once you start being social, I like that. you have a better time or a better chance at getting the guests that you may want to appear on your platform. Or if that doesn't work, you have to know somebody that knows somebody and they can connect you. Like I have. I'm about to be on Black Tech Unplugged pretty soon, so I've been I've been waiting to be on there for a while, so I can't wait for that episode. Uh, but you know, E, what what you think about the DMs? Because I know you talk about a lot of times about the entitlement when people reach out to you about if you like if y'all don't know if y'all don't follow E on Twitter, he's not on there a lot. But if he does, if he's gonna give you some advice, he's gonna make a thread on it. And then I guess a lot of times people reach out to him because they're entitled. Or they think they he should respond to them after that he's gave them free information. So all right, so yeah, to that point, um, you know, I, I like to make threads. I like to like get straight to the point of what I'm saying, and I post a lot of de content. Um, I don't mind DMs. I don't mind people asking questions. I don't mind people, you know, saying, "Oh, I saw you posted about this. Like, I, I, I want to dig a little deeper. Can you elaborate on, you know, X, Y, Z, or whatever?" But the problem I've encountered, and I've told you about some of these, is just sometimes people have this idea that let, let me let me let me let me let me say this as a disclaimer. I get paid to teach, right? I get paid to teach. And while I don't mind giving advice, I, I get paid to teach and I give out a long time. 
I give out a lot of free information. I give out a lot of free information to the point where HD hit me up sometimes like, bro, you need to charge for this. <laughs> like I give out a lot of free stuff. And so I guess a lot of, if you have a directed specific question about something that I post, I do not mind you reaching out, but, and, and we've talked about this in the circle uh, of the people we talk to and even just one-on-one everybody's not trying to be a mentor or everybody's not trying to be a, you know, a teacher of any kind. Everybody, not everybody who works in this industry is passionate about developing new professionals in this industry. Now I'm one of them. I'm one of them. You know, I, I, I taught for cover six. Uh, I give out a lot of free information. So I do want to help. But if I tried to answer every single question that everybody had, like, bro, it would become full on consulting. Like I would be genuinely consulting people. So for me, it's just like, have some etiquette. First of all, know what you want. You know, know, know exactly what you want. I appreciate pleasantries. Unlike HD, I like small talk. I like to talk. So I appreciate pleasantries, but know what you're asking. Um, the second thing is make sure I am the expert or and I'm not an expert, but make sure I'm the person you need to be reaching out to. I have people reach out to me all the time, like, oh, I'm trying to get a job as a pen tester. Fam, I can't help you. There's nothing I'm going to be able to do for you. I, I'm not a pen tester. Um, you know, I don't do pen testing, so I'm not going to be able to help you. So make sure make sure that I'm the right person to reach out to. And it frustrates me because sometimes I'm like, I know all you did was Google, look at the cybersecurity hashtag, and then just DM a bunch of people who had the hashtag because if you look at any of my content, none of it's ever about pen testing, none of it's ever about AppSec, none of it's ever about things I don't know about. I know about cloud security, I know about detection engineering. That's all I'm ever posting about. So for me, it's just like know exactly what you want. Have a, have a real question. How do I get into cybersecurity? Is not a question I'm about to answer. You know. What certifications do I need? I'm not about to answer. Google top 10 certifications in cybersecurity. Google certifications that show up on job descriptions most. Um, you can find that. Uh, I'm, I'm not about to answer those. If you have a question about like, hey, I'm working on a detection for LSAS credential dumping, and I was thinking about using these artifacts as the basis for my detection, what do you think? Bro, I'm ready to have that conversation. Now I'm excited. So for me, it's just like, read the room like know who you're talking to know your audience you know what i mean yeah definitely and then unlike e i don't mind if you reach out me reach out to me for the wrong thing like i've had people reach out for like pen testing software engineering coding you name it what i tend to do is i direct you to somebody in my network that i know that does that so i don't i don't mind doing it it's just that's probably you more than reaching out to me about just stuff that doesn't matter or i have it lets me know too if you have if you come ask me, hey, will a cert help me get this? It means you didn't click on my link in my bio to just check out. I got free cybersecurity webinar in my bio that's actually on my YouTube page. I have plenty of content on my Instagram that's talking about Sec Plus not gonna get it, Chief. So if you don't do your due diligence just to even research what I've put out, I'm definitely not gonna answer you when you ask me stuff I've answered already for you. I just it's just showing a lack of effort. And I think that's one of the things where I guess people want to call us old heads, but it's a lot of us who've been doing this for a long time, who also had to struggle with this information being gatekept and had to do our own due diligence and research things. And we're seeing these yeah. other people not even research. They're just trying to ask you stuff without even doing their own research. 
And that's the the issue that we tend to run into when it comes to these new people that are trying to get in. They aren't even attempting to research. They don't say, hey, I looked up this, this, and this. I found this. And I want to know, do you agree with this, with this website? And if you ask me something like that, okay. That's perfect. That's perfect. Right. Because right. we're going we're gonna to actually react to some content similar to that today because we know that a lot of you don't know because you are trying to research. But we know all the information that's put out is not accurate. Everyone that's putting out the information is not even, they aren't even practitioners right, when right. it comes to cybersecurity. So those are the things that you have to look out for. And I always tell people all the time, most of the time, if you are trying to listen to someone for advice or anything like that, please try to see if they got a LinkedIn or, or something like that or a portfolio to see what they actually have done or they're doing currently. And that's how you can figure out if they're actually credible or not. Yeah. Uh, last note on that. Um, when you're reaching out to people, uh, one, make sure it's the right person that you need to be reaching out to. Um, and I, I like what HD said. And I'm probably I probably need to do that like a lot more. I probably need to like direct them to somebody who can actually help. So I'm, I'm going to take that from this podcast. Like, as y'all can see, even I learned from this podcast. Uh, I'm going to take that and I'm going to start directing people to other people within my network. But so, but generally speaking, make sure you're reaching out to the right person and then um, make sure you're asking a question that that gives them some sort of context of what, what it is. That, that's, that's really specific, I should say. Uh, I like specific questions. Uh, and now it depends on who you're talking to. That works for me. If you want to ask me a question about detection engineering, I want it to be specific. Don't ask me what is detection engineering. Don't ask me how do I get into detection engineering. I just posted a thread about the books you need to read. I just posted a thread about the skills you need. Um, you know, I'm because I'm, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna direct you to the to the thread, and then I'm gonna look like an asshole because I'm gonna be like, "Hey, go check my thread out, bro." So just be specific, be direct, and make sure you're you're make sure you're addressing the right audience. Definitely, definitely. But guys, last week we had some. News happen, more hacks, more breaches, like I always say, job security. And so we're going to react to, well, we're going to go through one of these articles and then we're going to talk about some of the things that are happening and how titles can often be a little bit misleading. So the first one we want to talk about is AT&T alerts 9 million customers of data breach after vendor hack. Now, when you see that, you would typically think AT&T, like the... The big cheese, they actually were hacked. But when we get into the article, you'll actually see that it's not AT&T necessarily. Let's go. AT&T is notifying roughly 9 million customers that some of their information was exposed at the marketing vendor was hacked in January. And he knows this. I know this because I pretty much kind of go through this now on a day-to-day. <laughs> like being at a new place very shortly and then having to kind of go through these things. Most of the times... It's not the company that you work for. It's like their third-party vendor or or That's someone they own they work with. That's who you always got to worry about. Then, when, like, for example, when I worked for Goldman Sachs, I was in incident management. So a lot of our questions would be if we found out someone we do business with was breached or hacked, we would always have to figure out, okay, is our data affected? What data of ours do they have? And that's one of, one of the big ones. Because then if that's the case, then you got to figure out how much and what they got access to and who you need to alert. It's, and so it, it it's kind of, it's like a... I don't know if you call it like an interstate, but it's, it, it gets pretty interesting when you're seeing because 
you're starting to be up to date with how some of these uh, companies are being breached. And sometimes it's it's simple stuff. Yeah, I, I kid. I kid you not. It's always most of the time something simple when you're actually looking at what happens. Nah, you're right. Um, and unfortunately, we started seeing supply chain attacks pick up. Um, you know, over the last, I say, well, they've they've always been a thing, right? Uh, when we think about like um, how Berkeley's network was used to infiltrate the U.S. military years ago in the '80s, right? Mm. Um, I posted about that too. The cuckoo's egg. That's that's a thread on my uh, that's a thread on my Twitter. But so we've always seen supply chain attacks. We've always seen uh, uh, bad guys get in through an insecure or vulnerability that exists in one of your downstream or upstream uh, upstream connections. Uh, We've seen this, but we've seen it pick up a lot over the last five years. Um, I'm 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 curious of why. And I love bleeping computer, but I'm curious of why uh, AT&T's name was in this. And not the actual person uh, or in the headline. Why AT&T's name was in the headline and not the actual uh, organization that was compromised. I'm not curious because I already know how this works. I could think about it. I could put who the actual vendor, but who actually knows the vendor? Mm-hmm. But people know AT&T. Right. But like, OK, so now I'm going to take my cybersecurity hat off, put my investor hat on. If I'm a shareholder in AT&T, I'm pissed at this point. Right. Yeah. I, you know, uh, this and oh, I, I mean, this, I this, is, this, this topic, this is, this, how is the irresponsible, this is irresponsible journalism to me. This is irresponsible journalism to me because you better believe AT&T shares took some sort of hit because of this. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I don't know. I think but, as, as cybersecurity industry and as journalism, as journalists, in the cybersecurity industry, you have to understand the business and 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 livelihood ramifications of posting something like this. Right. But I mean, it's COE, content over everything. And I'm going to get into it because I'm going to show you. I'm, we'll have some hypotheticals of where AT&T could possibly be at fault. The information did not contain credit card information, social security numbers, account passwords, or other sensitive personal information. So let's see what it says. While the data breach notification does not share the number of impacted customers, AT&T told Bleeping Computer that approximately 9 million wireless accounts had their customer proprietary network information access. Exposed CPNI data includes customer first names, wireless account numbers, wireless phone numbers, and email addresses. A small percentage of impact... I think that's sensitive data. They said yeah. no sensitive data. I think that's sensitive data. Let me see. Is that what they actually said? Yeah, I do too. Because it's okay. that's like your actual account a small percentage of impacted customers man i'm tired of these ass bro <laughs> a small percentage of impacted customers also had exposure rate plan name past due amount monthly payment thing so you could potentially that's sensitive information that's, bro bro if somebody just imagine your electric company got hacked and now they say hey uh hey we see you laid on your bill you know you pay this this 150 dollars right now we'll make it we'll curve. wipe the whole thing out Right. Meanwhile, the person, you know, I think it's too good to be true. Like the, we all know the domain going to be similar, but some going to be off with it. But you yeah. know, the average person don't know that. So yeah, this definitely, listen, I'm, if I'm them say, Hey man, just, just let my bill be free for about three years. I'm good. Yeah. That's, that's, I don't see again, man. Like I think this is irresponsible journalism. 
Yeah, but I don't. But I don't know. I've never researched the person who's writing it, right? And you know, a lot of times they also use AI in a sense to help them with some of these things. And so far, the article seems engaging. So I believe that's what they're also going for. Yeah, this definitely sets people up for SEs, though. Right. We or have no SEs are social engineering. I want to make sure we're not using too many acronyms. <laughs> Yeah, I, my I, I assume that they they were following us on that one because I think nah, I man, hey, that's that's the teacher in me, bro. Can't be using acronyms. But I thought I said social engineering before we gotta got into clear. that whole little spiel. Just got to be clear, bro. We have notified federal law enforcement about the unauthorized access of your CPNI as required by the Federal Communications Commission, aka FCC. Now let's see our report. To law enforcement does not contain specific information about your account, only that the unauthorized access occurred, which is typically standard when you're going to alert someone because legal is going to tell you hey, what you can and cannot do. So they're going to always send like a high level overview of, hey, you just. Right, right. Customers are advised to talk about CPNI data sharing on their accounts by making a CPNI restriction or request to reduce exposure risk in the future if AT&T uses it for third party vendor marketing purposes. I think the bigger issue is like, why do they need that for marketing? To make money. No, I understand it, but I'm saying, why do you need my account numbers? Like, why do they need all that? Oh, I get what you're saying. Like, or is yeah. it, or it may know. be similar as like when Verizon sends me this message, hey, you can get X amount of money off. Is it actually from Verizon or is it from a third party that's that's authorized through Verizon to send me these messages? So now they, I'm kinda, I mean, they could be using the account number like an identifier, right? Could be. Like, they could be using the account number like a unique identifier. But couldn't, but couldn't the phone number work as the unique identifier? Good point. Good point. I'm just trying to see yeah. how they circumvent this in the future because well, the phone just, number could move between. But the phone number could that move is also true. Customer to customer, the account number probably won't move. That's also true. But it would be similar. We'll we'll say the account number would be the primary key. Just if we're talking about databases, it'd be similar mm-hmm. to your social. So, you got yep. a point. Which again makes it sensitive. That's why I don't understand why this article said no sensitive information. Like I think that's sensitive information. Yeah, I do too. I think that one of the issues AT&T could possibly have ran into, and we don't know, but I would probably say negligence on the vendor, negligence maybe on AT&T because I'm pretty sure someone always has to go check. You know, they always talk about data at risk. Okay, who has access to our data at risk? What are we in compliance with the things that we need to comply to? Those are the questions that they're probably going to ask them. And now they're going to probably bring somebody else in. You know, they're probably on the phone with Mandy right now <laughs> to Bro, go it's, ahead. It's, I mean, it's why we need is. I mean, I say it all the time is why we need something like GDPR in, in, the, in the U.S., bro. Yeah, I think it's coming. I think it's mm-hmm. coming. But I think because it's a wild, wild west of, you know, everyone doesn't want to get to these regulations. I think that's what the the typical issue is that they run into. But AT&T, I mean, oh, back to you talking about irresponsible journalism. I think if they say in the article that they actually spoke to AT&T, then I guess by default, they do have to say, hey, AT&T suffered a data breach because AT&T is the one that alerted them. They said, oh, our marketing vendor had the data breach. I'm pretty sure. But don't you think it's a way to, to word that better, right? Like, couldn't I say XYZ company data breach leads to millions of AT&T customers information being leaked. You could, but what I know from content, that long title wouldn't work. 
it need to be concise and to yeah. The well, point. I mean, I, I mean, I could come. I mean, you could you could probably come up with something better because I don't. Is, and I think also you got to look at it like this: the people that have AT and T will recognize that somebody sends them an article and say, "Hey, you don't you got AT and T? You need to see if you've been affected." Versus if it said marketing vendor um, is subjugated to a breach and you know they're owned by AT and T, that might be a little bit too long in the two. So, so you're saying like you're saying in that case you're probably going to notify more AT&T customers by putting AT&T in the name mm-hmm. than the okay I can see that I can yeah. see that cuz it's a bigger it, it's just it's more recognizable of a name right they they always do that every time there's a a breach or something that happens it's always the the head honcho name and that's why when we do our jobs we always say regardless of what's happening if we don't do our job it falls on us so if we work for the yeah. main company even if you was doing what you're supposed to do or, or somebody missed something that was related to another vendor, it's on y'all. It's going to look like it's why we all have to be good. It's why we all have to be good, you know, and it's why we all have to continuously get better. Because if at the end of the day, if you're a downstream organization or upstream organization within my, you know, within my operation space, I need your security people to be good as well. Right. You know, I need them to be well trained. I need, you know, I need you to have enough staff. Because too many of these huge companies depend on companies with staffs of four people, you know. So that's why we all got to be good. Yeah, talk and, about uh, it. We, you know, we gotta. I don't. I, I think that's why we have to encourage community, right? This is why we have to encourage community, and not to not to say like, oh, because because I know somebody may say, well, you just said to told people not to reach out to you, but now you're saying encourage community. No, I think there should be community and I think people should reach out and grow and use all the resources they can. But understand that other people in the industry are just one resource. They're not the only resource. But I think situations like these are just it's it's, it's I think it's sad because uh, I know that like AT&T shareholders are being affected. AT&T employees are probably being affected. And, you know, our, our brothers and sisters in arms over at AT&T and security are probably being affected by this. So, uh, you know, I think it's one of those situations where um, journalism and media spin can have a real impact on real lives. Yep. But I will say their jobs needed. <laughs> They're not going to get laid off no time soon. No, no, no. Job security. <laughs> people going to have money. They got jobs. Right. And, and speaking of money, now this is the first time we've probably, we talked about finances in the last episode, but this is the first time we've ever did something like this. And for those of you who aren't aware, Silicon Valley Bank is pretty much kaput at this point. And I actually do my own research on it briefly, understanding what was happening and what Silicon Valley Bank actually represented, especially for founders and startups. Now, so I'm you not, you gonna have to put me on game on this, bro? Because yeah, yeah, we're gonna read through the know, article. As I much as I know about economics, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not privy to like the whole SVB, SV Silicon Valley Bank thing. Right, right. And I'm just briefing the listeners or the watchers on about uh, SVB. I honestly, my first time seeing them was at the booth at Afrotech, but I didn't look too much more into them. But they handle a lot, a significant amount of money when it comes to a lot of the startups in. I guess I would say like America, because mm-hmm. the biggest issue with people want to form companies is raising capital. And right. Silicon Valley Bank is one of the first banks or current banks that makes it easy for you to get capital to run your business. And they were pretty successful. I think it's going to tell us in the article about kind of their transition in a short amount of time of how good they got. Now, I saw a TikTok and then we're going to get into the article. 
was basically saying like they did good, but they over over leveraged their assets to where mm. they invested in something that the rates went up and made the investment bad, and then they couldn't account for the money. So really, mu- pretty much operations like negligence on not documenta- documenting things that you need to document, and probably you could say mismanagement of funds. Uh, that's kind of what the biggest issue with what's going on from what I you know garnered from the article. And I also say that I have seen some founders on my LinkedIn and other places that are are putting out donation links because it was like, hey, our money was tied up into this with our company. We need to pay our payroll. We had all these other things. And they're not going to get it back for a while because it's tied up in the FDIC. Right. And so this is one of the issues when you have people who may be on the lower levels or higher levels or whatever it comes to when you're working and we're wondering about why they should get paid this much and all this because they carry most of the risk, not mm-hmm. you. That's why they should get paid the most. They carry the most of the risk. Because look now, now they look, even though it was great, now they look bad because it seemed like they did something wrong, but they right. really didn't. It was the people who had the money that did the wrong thing. But, or, you know, I'm pretty sure it's going to be some conspiracy theory uh, videos out there somewhere. Those will probably be pretty interesting. Let's get yeah. into the article real quick. Let's see what we got. Yeah, this article gives us like a timeline of uh, what's been happening. So let's share this. SVB was a massive bank. Founded in 1983, Silicon Valley Bank provided financing for almost half man, half of U.S. venture-backed technology and healthcare companies. They have been hurt by higher interest rates and dwindling venture capital. While relatively unknown outside of Silicon Valley, SVB was among the top 20 American commercial banks with $209 billion in total assets at the end of last year. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And I also saw on LinkedIn, it was an article. I did not get a chance to read it, but it was saying the CEO of SVB sold out his uh, stock or whatever right before the collapse. It's always like that. Um, it's stunning and seemingly rapid fall. It's the largest shutdown of a U.S. bank since Washington Mutual in 2008. The FDIC acted unusually quickly. The wheels began to come off Wednesday when SVB announced it had sold a bunch of securities at a loss and it would sell $2.25 billion in new shares to shore up its balance sheet. California regulators closed down the tech lender Friday. The FDIC is acting as a receiver which typically means it will liquidate the bank's assets to pay back its customers, including depositors and creditors. Mm. And I'm not going to read this part about the FDIC, but pretty much you want to use a bank that says FDIC on the outside. I believe it issues your money up to a quarter of a million dollars. So if you got a million dollars you want to save, just put it in four different banks. That way if something happens, you can get your quarter mil back from all four banks. Okay. Now, Remember, I was talking about the, the interest rates on whatever deal they made. Right here, saying high interest rates led to its demise. To combat rapid inflation, the central bank has been aggressively raising interest rates since 2022. It made borrowing for businesses and individuals more expensive to cool the economy down, which was what we saw throughout the whole economy with cars, right. houses, food, everything went up. Yeah, it got super expensive to borrow money. Right. When interest rates were near hysterical lows, the banks bought up on long-dated, seemingly low-risk treasuries. But as rates rose, the value of those assets has fallen, leaving them sitting on unrealized losses. Yep. 
So the dude that I saw the TikTok was right. I can send it to you as well. But he was right. So this is what the biggest issue was, was with them pretty much going in on these low risk treasuries. And then they didn't foresee the economy getting like this and going bad. And I want to know, since they've been around since 83, I know these people probably had to be friends with the people that run like the Capital One, JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley's, Goldman Sachs, all these other places. Not so only that, I'm, they've seen two recessions. Right. They've been and, around since 83. They've seen two recessions. Yeah. And I was reading uh, Business Insider had some type of article that said Goldman Sachs tried to either reach out to SVB or help them. So I don't know. But I am curious to see like why nobody thought that was a good idea. When something is too good to be true, most of the time it is. And I'll say that briefly because I saw in 2020 through 2020, what, almost to the end of 2022, so many people bought houses probably that they couldn't afford because the interest rate was so low. Yeah. And now either the value's gone up or property taxes has happened or now what they pay for the house, <laughs> they won't get for it. It's like, it's a lot of things. Like, so it's always a pro and a con when it comes to anything you do when it's involving money. Right, right, right. No, it's, so, okay, now I'm gonna let you keep reading because okay. I still, I got a lot of questions about what's been going on. Right. Listen, we both got questions. High rates significantly constrained tech companies, which undercut the value of tech stocks and made it difficult to raise funds. Faced with higher interest rates, loss of IPOs, and a funding drought, SVB's clients began pulling money out of the bank. That's the big issue. Mm-hmm. That's the big issue. They start taking their money elsewhere. The higher rates has also lowered the value of their treasury and other securities, which SVB needed to pay depositors. Moody's chief economist Mark Zandi said, all of this set off the run on their deposits that forced the FDIC to take over SVB. U.S. customers had at least $151.5 billion in uninsured deposits. The key word, uninsured deposits by the end of 2022. SVB's latest annual report said foreign deposits reached at least $13.9 billion and are also uninsured. Companies may have gotten a decent amount out during the bank run, but there is still a lot of money at stake if a buyer or bailout isn't reached. Roku held approximately pretty much half a billion of its $1.9 billion in cash at Silicon Valley Bank. 26% of the company's total. The streaming company mm-hmm. added the most deposits were uninsured. Video game sites, Roblox, and bankrupt cryptocurrency lender BlockFi are also facing the fallout. Mm. This is Damn, not I know bank. people that work for Roblox. Right, that's crazy. This is not a bank crisis yet. On Thursday, billionaire hedge fund manager Bill Ackman compared SVB to Bear Stearns, the first lender to collapse at the start of the 2007-2008 global financial crisis. The risk of failure and deposit losses here is that the next least well-capitalized bank faces a run and fails, and the dominoes continue to fall. But most mm. analysts say the implosion of SVB appears Company specific for now. Banks and lenders with specialized clientele, just like SVB, will feel the brunt of the fallout. Okay, um, let's see. Let's go to this tech company's uh, scrambling part. Like, I'm gonna have a link to this article in the description if you guys want to read it. I just don't want to bore you going through the whole thing. Tech companies are scrambling. SVB was a top lender for the startup community, whose founders now worry about getting their money out, making payroll, and covering operating expenses. Now that the bank has folded, I just want to know what happens next. Ashley Turner, founder of health food delivery company Farmbox RX, told CNN in an email. The FDIC covers 250K, but am I going to recover my whole eight figures? 
Some are getting creative. Children's Toys Apparel and Experience Retailer Camp sent an email to customers Friday and advertised on their site. Unfortunately, we had most of our company's cash assets at a bank, which just collapsed. I'm sure you heard this news. It urged customers to use the code Bank Run to save 40% off on all merchandise to pay full price, which it said would be appreciated. Hey, I ain't mad at it. Got to get your money some type of way. All right, let's go to the stock stuff, and then we'll, we'll just talk shop. Stock plunge Friday. The Dow fell by 345 points or 1.1% on Friday. The S&P 500 dropped 1.5%, and the NASDAQ composite was 1.8% lower. For the week, the Dow fell by 4.4%. It's worst week since June. The S&P 500 was down 4.6%, and the NASDAQ was 4.7% lower. Wall Street's fear gauge, the VIX jumped 15% on Friday afternoon as investors rushed to safe havens to avoid being pulled into any banking sector contagion, the Marcus teams reported. All right, let's stop sharing that. But yeah, man, you know, last week we were just talking about um, yep. kind of asking about say this, this come over last week, man. I was going to say company financials, which are, are very important. So, yeah, man. So first thing I want to say is, uh, you know, I do have a, 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 within my network. I knew I know at least two detection engineers who work for S- SVB. And uh, it's really sad. It's really sad. A lot of good people um, are going to lose their jobs, uh, you know, not because of a cybersecurity decision, but because of, you know, financial stuff that I don't know enough about to uh, to get into. So first I'll say that. Uh, second, I don't know, man. Uh, one of one of the things that one of the things that I'm not gonna do that has annoyed me throughout this entire process is all of a sudden everybody's an expert on economics and banking. <laughs> right. I took like, three classes, three econ classes, but I'm no expert. Here's the thing. I am no macro or microeconomics person. I know a little bit about investing. I know a little bit about real estate, but I mean, I don't know, man. Like, you know, this is one of those topics where, uh, you know, I'm adjacent to it because I do see the effect of how many technical professionals are losing their jobs and losing employment because of this or just worry and how many founders. Um, and we haven't even gotten into or, or I guess from a social media standpoint, we haven't even gotten to the point of how this affects black founders who may not be able to get capital from anywhere else because of, you know, just how the whole venture capitalist uh, economy works. Um, and women founders, you know, we haven't even gotten into that stuff. Uh, I, I just think this is sad. And I think that, you know, to your point, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm not blaming this CEO, but like somebody knew, somebody knew something was about to go down. Uh, somebody knew that they were, you know, those interest rates were too high. Like, I, I, I know that somebody was smart enough to see this coming. And yeah. in, in many of these cases, unfortunately, what happens is that smart person either lost their job and got hit with an NDA or that smart person took whatever money they had and like, you know, it took it and ran. So yeah. I don't know. What do you think, man? What, what do you think? Uh, Since the CEO, since the CEO sold their stock, before the collapse, they already knew something. So they were already privy to information that everyone else was privy to. And when you start seeing other companies starting taking their money out, that made it worse because they didn't have the money to cover things. 
and making risky investments. Because we all know, everyone knows, if you put money in the bank, they're trying to make money off your money. And that's why they're also loaning it out and doing all these other things to make money. That's what banks do. But, well, you know, as we say, and I mean, of course, they're using the finance and you know, cybersecurity, risk acceptance, risk tolerance. Their acceptance was, hey, we're going to, you know, put all this money in these, these treasuries and um, hopefully, you know, we'll make money off of it. If not, then, oh, well, we'll see what happens. And I think they just, you know, they had a little bit too much dip on the chip. I think that's what actually happened when it comes to uh, Silicon Valley Bank. I've been seeing people online call for other banks to help bail them out, which I think the Fed or someone should because a lot of good companies have come through Silicon Valley Bank. And without Mm -hmm. that, they may cease to exist or may have to rush selling them to a bigger company that they don't necessarily want to just to either still have the company or hopefully look out for their employees because it's, this is different. Like, hey, what do you do? do or, hey, you got to get laid off because Silicon Valley Bank messed up the money. So let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. What do you... Okay, so as as a... as a, I want you to pull off your, your podcast and your, and your career coach hat right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't have a career coach, holler at my boy. Uh, he he's my career coach, <laughs> but do you think it's risky? And you and I had this conversation because you know that I had an opportunity to go work at two startups. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why I didn't take them was because of situations like this. Do you think it's risky as cybersecurity professionals to take jobs at startups? Yeah. I think everyone always knows startups are a risk. They're a great risk, but they can become a great reward. I, I think that's why people go in startups. Now, we probably would tell people if they're going to go work at a startup to make sure you have funds because if it goes left, it goes left, but you're still taken care of. But people go to startups knowing the upside of, hey, if it works, if we get uh, you know profitable, that either they're going to go public or they're going to sell and you're going to have this percent of the company and you're going to benefit from it more than you would go to another company that didn't have those options. I think that's what it is. But at the point when you, when, when people are early on the startup and I've never worked for a startup, so I don't know, I will, I have someone coming on the pod that is an actual investor. And so this will actually be a question I ask them when they come on the pod and ask them, does this affect them in any way when they invest into companies? But they probably now are going to start asking when they when they want to start a startup and they want people to work for them. Okay, hey, who who finances you guys? How are you guys getting your money? Mm, that's a good question. Now they could probably get mad at the question or not, but no one. Hey, if, if I don't know that, hey, we're not going to keep on having the money, then I'm not going to come. It's just simple. See, and I guess I guess I'm thinking of it like it depends on you know, like you said, for one, um, do you have reserves? Right. Like, just do you have money saved up? But like, I think some of the people might probably have money in the bank. Some of the employees? No, not the employees. Oh, you, hold on. You were talking reserves. I'm saying company. as an employee, I'm saying oh, as an okay. employee, like you got to have reserves. Uh, So when you, when you and I or talk you about. Could, or you could be young, like either. See, reserves I don't know. Be, I don't know. I well, let me tell I'm, you why. I, if you're a young person with no family or anything like that. If I think you're better positioned as a seasoned professional to go work at a startup. Yeah, because cool. you got you have the you have the experience and the backing that if that doesn't work to just go where you want. Like imagine, Whoa. imagine if your first job was was at this startup, and because of the bank, 
that was the, the, the bank that was holding their capital, you lost your. So, so say, all right, say, say you've been working with, you know, you've been working with, you know, textual chatter the last year you find, or last six months. Cause my boy going to get you there. Um, and you just got your first job as a sock analyst. You've been there two months, right? You, 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 you get laid off, not because of anything you did or, or anything that you can speak to, but because your company, your company goes under. Do you think it's like for me as for a new person, I'm like, it's going to be harder you for you to find work than somebody like me or you, where it's like, I mean, we probably got three or four jobs within our network. So to me, I think it's more risky to go to a startup early in your career than when you get more senior in your career. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. But I also was coming from maybe a financial standpoint, right? It's the same thing like when I talk to clients and we're talking about salaries or jobs, work hours and all these different things. And I'm saying, hey, if you don't have no family, you just by yourself, get in where you fit in. Do all different type of aqua hours, whatever you can do and, and get your experience and your money. So if it was a young person that had the opportunity to work at a startup, know the risk. But at least for them, if they fail, it's just them. They can go do Uber. They can go do ship. They can do a lot of gig economy stuff, get a get a part time at, you know, the gas station or something. They don't have to worry about mouse to feed. So I was coming from that standpoint. I got of, you. I got you. Of being able to, hey, if it's just you and you just got to thug it out for like three months, you can and this is from experience when it was just me when I was laid off. It was like, had it been like right now, shoot, times would be tough. But back then, it was just me. I was good. I could, I, you know, I could survive. It was tough, but <laughs> I could do that. Uh, no, nah, that's true. I mean, because shit, when I was young, I only did contract work for a long time. For a long time. I, and, I, and I did contract work in a different city. I get a six-month lease. It was it was not a good financial decision, but I take a six-month lease in the city and, you know, right. thug it out. But I don't know. For me, it's like a, I, th- I think about it like that. Like, I think about the people who work there who were good good security engineers that I know. And I'm just yeah. like, man, like, because one of the guys I know, he's been there less than a year. Um, and it's like, man, like, and, but I said he's lucky enough that, like, he he put out there on LinkedIn like, yo, I used to work for SVB. I need a job, and he put that out there. You know, when the, when the news first broke, and he got an interview Tuesday. Right. Hey, I ain't gonna lie though. I seen this funny TikTok where dudes was like, hey, some of y'all probably don't remember when Circuit City closed, but a lot of us used to work there, and so all we did was on our resumes got together and say, hey, I was the director of uh, store operations or this or that because they ain't got no wow. HR. So they was wow. getting different. They was getting leveling up on their job search. And he was like, was, he was like, Twitter doesn't have an HR. So you could just start saying you did something at Twitter. And uh, I was IT security manager. Right. Hey, um, I was the director of threat hunting at SVB. Listen, right. I'm, I'm wondering though, like it's because, you know, that gets into sort of what we talked about uh, mm-hmm. last week, right? It's like you, there are risks that come with taking jobs at certain companies, you know, and, and, it, and it gets down to like why knowing that companies' financials are important. Mm-hmm. You know, because one of the one of the companies I took, uh, I think they were in there maybe third or fourth round and they're doing great. I haven't heard any bad news about them, but that I, I need them to be further in their rounds of funding mm-hmm. before I could take that. Now, on the on like you said, there's a flip side to that. Right. If I go and work for that company in two years, I lost tons of equity. Mm hmm. 
I lost tons of equity. Um, and I'm still, I'm st- <laughs> facts, facts, because they were offering big equity, mm-hmm. right? But that's that's the risk you face. And like my risk tolerance, and part of this comes from the real estate side of my business. My risk, I'm so conservative when it comes to risk uh, that I, j- I just couldn't take that role. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm super mm-hmm. conservative when it comes to risk. So I'm wondering, like, when we see stuff like this, uh, as professionals, the first thing I think about is like, do would would I even advise a new cybersecurity professional to go work for a startup? Now, right now, I don't know if I can answer that question. I but would. see, I don't know if I would. I would. I don't know if I would. I don't know if the upside is is great enough that it would. I mean, because because okay. You go work for a startup, you could end up somewhere like a Mandiant, mm-hmm. right? Mandiant was a startup at some point, right? Every, I mean, our companies be kind of at, or like possibly like startups, like one day. But the deal for me is not really not, not necessarily on the money. It's about the experience for me when I'm telling them, "Hey, just go get your experience." Because and True. we know as smaller companies, you're more likely to wear more hats and have more experience yeah. than the person that went to that big place. And only knows how to who really maybe is only doing bare minimum stuff and yet you doing one thing. I you're do one doing thing. Yeah. right. You're doing this person at the start is doing multiple things, and they even though it's their first year, but they've surpassed the level of the other person. They've went to now maybe real close to principal level just based off of what they do. So so how so all right, so this ain't you HD right now, this is you 10 years ago. How do you make that decision? Like what logic do you use to say? You know, I'm gonna go to this startup, or I'm gonna I'm gonna keep looking for more well-established companies. I think, but see, I think I'm a bad person to use because, like I told everybody on my uh, IT help this video, I went from making seven seventy-five an hour to seventeen an hour. So I was like, mm-hmm. so imagine what a startup probably said they could pay me. So I probably would have jumped at it just because it's way more than what I'm getting. So I think I was probably a, I think. Anybody who's not making a lot of money, who just sees the opportunity to make at least way more money than they already making, yeah. is going to see it as a positive. People yeah. like us who have jobs always have more leverage when it comes to if we decide we're going to jump ship or not. And therefore, we make better decisions most of the time. Yeah. And, and, and you know, that's one, of those, that's one of those positions that's hard for me because... It's hard for me to give advice to people who are just starting out. I mean, you have talked about this. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to give advice to people who are just starting out um, simply because I don't know that I'm connected enough to to, to that situation. Like yeah. me right now, I'm not going to work for a startup. I need I need a company to have made it through. All right, a man, listen. All right, what if the startup say we finna give you 150000 to sign on? And in the event... That our funding is lost, you do not have to pay it back. They giving me a hundred and fifty thousand start a, a sign on bonus. Yeah, the first the first year see, I got you, I got more year, questions. The first I got year more you get hundred thousand. Y'all paying that quarterly? Y'all paying that annual? See, that's, I know. those are the questions. That's, that's what I got. I'm saying. Hey, listen, the first okay. year you get a hundred thousand. You get the hundred thousand thirty days after you start. Free and clear. Free and clear. Hundred thousand is mine. Yeah. You have to negotiate that with a startup. You have to say, hey, if I'm fired, you know, hey, or laid off, I ain't gonna Or if I quit, if I quit after I get this hundred thousand, you gotta pay because that's because that's likely was I gotta pay it back. Yeah, most people have to, even in my sign on say, hey, if, you if know, they say in a year, if you do this or that, you gotta pay us this money back. If they say within a year, 
I, I got to pay it back. I'm not taking that, bro. I mean, I get what you're saying, bro. But think about it. You be up. All the smart investors. I would. I would. I would be up. No, no, I would be up. I would be up. You give me that hundred thousand, I'm flipping it. I'm flipping. You give me that hundred thousand, we bringing three fifty back in in four years. Easy. No, nah, it's gonna be more than that. Easy. I don't know, bro. These interest rates are crazy right now in real estate. But anyway, um, you, 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 <laughs> I was gonna say something illegal on the podcast. No, 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 no. You gonna be the next right. big Meech. Relax, relax. No, no, no. I'm gonna be the next big Mark, big Mark Zuckerberg. Y'all don't listen to him. Um, but no, I mean, I mean, but but dude, that's that's what I'm saying. That's the difficulty. It is. It is that's the difficulty listen, with startups. And listen, we can we can go in on that a lot because it's like I said, money is always an interesting topic for regardless. But it's we about are, where you are in life. It's about where right. you are in life. Right. Let's let's get into some of these. Uh, Controversial tech takes from LinkedIn. Uh, quickly, let's do it. You know the one I want to talk about. I know, I know which one you want to talk about. And also, guys, you still listening to us right now? Please make sure you hit the like button. Also, subscribe. And if you're listening on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or whatever podcast medium that you choose to use, please leave us a review, five stars, comment. Really helps us out in the algorithm. And if you're watching us right now and you are trying to get into tech, and maybe you're not a technical person. But you want to make some good money and transition from your career, then check out Course Careers. You, they have an IT tech sales course that will essentially help you make sixty, seventy thousand dollars starting off, and you could potentially make more than that. I think it's called On Target Earnings. Don't quote me on that one. I'm not in tech sales. And they also have an IT course taught by Josh Matacor that, so far, what I've been seeing from it is phenomenal. He just had a guy on his channel the other day who. Was doing some other things, but also took his IT course and landed a SOC analyst role with no experience. And he said other people just land different type of help desk, knock roles, IT admin roles just from the course alone. So if you are interested in that, use the link in the description and use my coupon code TEXTUAL50 for $50 off on your course careers journey. But let's get into one of these next tech takes. And it's a lot of them. I think that the two hot ones I want to talk about is individual contributor roles should not have higher qualifications than their leadership. If your boss can't do your job, they have no business leading that team. And I think that's a spicy one that came from my guy, Marcus Wells. He's always, he's the king of the hot takes. What, what do you think about that? Cause I have a theory on that too. It's like, I get it. The managing part. Cool. That's fine. But what if your team is well, or we don't need you to manage. What if, Three people are out, and we need you to get in the trenches. We need you to be in, in Splunk and actually do some work. Like, no, I don't think that's true. For that. I don't think that it's not always true that the most effective people managers or project managers make the most effective technical professionals. Well, I don't, I, I, don't, I don't think I was saying that's uh, most effective. It was more so saying, how are you uh, critiquing me on certain things if you don't know how to do what I do? Well, you know, you may know how to measure that performance. Right? I mean, but that's all. That. But but that's all numbers. Why? Okay, I put it like this: I'm a boxing fan. If I take a fighter that I know has the potential, but they are struggling, but because I was a fighter before, I said, "Hey, okay, you are right here, but I can take you right here because you have this deficiency right here, and I can show you how to get better at that." Yeah, but that's like saying nobody should coach in the NBA if they never play NBA ball. They really shouldn't. Most of the, most of the time, nah, they shouldn't. Nah, most they shouldn't. 
And nah. that's like I said, if we go if we go back to what I was talking about boxing, it's only a handful of coach, coaches that never boxed that's actually made champions. Everybody else mostly has a, a pro, whether they were an uh, elite pro boxer or they were just elite, a pro or an amateurs, they've boxed before. And therefore, they are better trainers because they know how to – they have the insight to help them out. So you don't think somebody could be an effective CISO if they've never – been in a in a in a security role. I think uh, at a C level, it's a little bit different from someone probably being my direct manager. Okay, that's so, a good distinction. So this is that's so. A good I think his question is maybe more. I don't think his was talking about C level. I think he was talking about like the person you directly report to. That's what okay. I. That's why I gleaned from that question when he when he said that. So that's why I said, hey, if three or four people is out, and you know we know you're not a lead, we're a good team, but we need your help. Can do you know how to do this? Because think about it. How are you interviewing me if you don't understand the questions you're asking me? You're just asking them, but you don't understand what you're asking me. How you are you? Barry ever- Gordy, bro. Barry Gordy, L.A. Reid. Like, these are people who built music empires who have never made a single album. Um, I would disagree. You can bring great people together. I would disagree, though, because L.A. Reid has an ear. Like, Puff don't play instruments, but Puff has an ear to know what works. Puff so you don't think you don't think you can have that same eye or that same or be able to identify effective because uh, like when we talk about effective engineering, right? Effective engineering is 80% of how you think, right? It's 20% like knowing the exact Linux command, right? right. When we but who, or, taught, or when but we, who taught you that? Well, I mean, I learned from all technical people, but but that's what I'm saying. Who taught them? So I, I think that's I, think, I, I think, came I came up through a different I came up through a different era though. No, I came what? up remember because you got to remember I came up when when I first started there were no IT managers. The right. network administrator was the IT manager. Right, and that's what and that's what I'm getting at. It's like if it all started somewhere, this is person had the cachet to talk. Like for example, remember I told you when I was interviewing with Target that director. I think he came from Oracle or Square or whatever. But yeah, he had experience, yeah. and I could tell from solid, his questions. Yeah. You can't ask those type of questions to me if you never lived it. Yeah, I mean, I, and so know, I who else would better player, know? Man. Who else would better know what he wants on his team than that? Or my my guy from Yahoo, shout out to Sean. Sean, the questions he asked me, he's did other things in cyber, and so you can't get that insight from just if you said, hey, chat GPT, like for example, because this is what's happening now, because I use chat GPT, but I use it in effective ways. Hey, give me, you know, 10, the top 10 cybersecurity interview questions to ask. You could just, you could ask that question. I mean, you can get it from chat GPT. It might give you some good questions, but are you really going to understand who's giving you a good answer and who's not? Yeah, you don't, you don't understand that person's way of thinking. So I'll say this. Because I'll, I'll let you finish and I'll let you finish and I'll get this no, out. I'll cut you off. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm saying, but this comes into the play where when it comes back down to why sometimes the teams that are assembled by a manager sometimes are bad because they don't know what they're actually looking for. Mm-hmm. Or the hiring managers them really don't know what they're looking for and they're hiring the wrong people because they don't know. Mm-hmm. It's also factors into these things on the job description, all these stupid things, which we're going to get into this question next. That don't mean anything you know, if you can't really assess it in the interview. If you're assessing it based off what I got on paper, have it. But we ain't seen in sports and anything, people that look good on paper don't always pan out. They don't always win the ring. 
worth the Tim Tebow. Um, so, <laughs> so, all right, I'll say this. You made a good distinction, and I think that's important. I don't necessarily think my CISO needs to have worked in, worked as or like done every job. I don't think he needs to be the summation of every of doing good at every single job in cybersecurity. Uh, I do think that there are certain I don't think you should be managing an engineering team if you aren't aware of the the variations of what success looks like for engineering teams. Right. And so what I mean by that is if you're managing a detection engineering team, and that's, I'm, I'm going to use that frame of reference a lot because, you know, that's that's the one I'm most most familiar with. If you're managing a detection engineering team and you go to senior management or to CISO and say, OK, well, we can pump out new analytics two weeks at a time. Well, you're saying that because you don't understand the work that it takes to put into something like that. If, if, if you're saying that one engineer can pump out analytics two weeks at a time, you may not understand the research, the labbing, the malware analysis, the, the adversarial research that has to go into that. So I think I think that it, it is good for them to have some sort of technical experience. But I, I, on the flip side of that, not every engineer I work with would make great decisions for the company. And that's also true. You know, I've worked with some brilliant, amazing technical minds who would tank the fucking company because they would be too focused on making the tech good. You know what I mean? They wouldn't understand what risks are acceptable and which ones are not. They would just try to fix everything. And we would be hemorrhaging money within the budget and we would be like throwing stuff away because, you know, not every technical mind is good at managing and leading a company right. to be successful. Right. And that's different. And that's why I said that's not the type of leadership I was referring to. I was referring to just direct because most of the time my direct people don't. So we're talking uh, like mid-level managers. Yeah, mid-level we're not talking managers. about people who actually are doing maybe the contract negotiations and um, doing other things for tooling and all these other things. I don't think we we're referring to that. I think it was just like I'll report to you. And you aren't you don't have that much power, but you're not doing a good job because you don't know what you're doing, you don't make good decisions, and you don't know we need to make us be more effective. So yeah, that's, you don't I'm need to leave. be running a sock if you if you've never worked in a sock. Right. And I have a video where I talked about at McAfee, they got people that never ran a sock, people never worked in cybersecurity before, had them running a the sock. And that's why it was trash. Yeah. They you spent more money on never worked in a sock. They spent more money on making us a new sock than actually training us on what to do. And therefore, that's why that building is empty today. I took a picture of it in December. <laughs> it's empty. Nobody's there. They are now Trillix. But yeah. moving past that, let's get into the CISSP question, which is, I believe this is uh, CIS- CISSP should not be the holy grail of cybersecurity. Also, I don't know what should be. That came from my guy, Brian Richard. Shout out to you, Brian, man. I, I love this question. So f- full disclosure, uh, I am a CISSP. And <laughs> he's the no, know you know this. I think certifications are bullshit. As a whole, uh, I, I think they are a terrible way to determine. Most certifications are a terrible way to determine someone's effectiveness at a role, Right. Um, and, and the thing is, we don't handle certifications like that in any other industry. In any other industry, we don't handle certifications like that. A certifications in any other industry is a minimum requirement. 
it's a minimum requirement. But for some reason, for our industry, it, it just holds this, this huge weight. So let me say that. The reason we get them, myself included, is because they show up on job descriptions. They get the, they get us the interviews. I got my CISSP because it shows up. You know, salute to me. I got my CISSP because it shows up on job descriptions. I got SANS cert because they show up. Well, I take it back. SANS is way overpriced, but that is some of the best training I've ever got. So I will say that. <laughs> but. Yeah, man, CISSP, it, it shouldn't be all over. And now let's specifically talk to that test. That test is a mile wide and an inch deep. It doesn't get really, really specific about any one thing. Um, it is a Now, it is a management level certification. It is meant for mm-hmm. senior level managers or people who are managing cybersecurity projects and teams. Hey, so, so the first thing is it should not be a requirement for any non-manager role. Let me let me let glad you said that because I was gonna piggyback. I was gonna play devil's advocate on your point when you were like, I got it because it showed up on job descriptions. And yeah. that's should, the sentiment of people any, should be right, but that's the sentiment of some people that have no experience. Oh, it's on the job description. It's it's the reason why people go out and get the sec plus and they say, I'm gonna go get the CEH, uh CISSP, uh solutions architect. It's the same reason I see it on the job description, but the difference is you and I have experience. Like I'm about to start working on the AWS uh, security specialty. Why? Because it's going to enhance what I do at work, mm-hmm. which is why you should actually get a cert. It should enhance skills that either you're working on or that you already have. If you don't have them, you need to work on them because right. just the cert alone is not enough. Maybe in the government, the government space is different. They got deals with CompTIA and everybody else to uh, be whatever type of uh type of compliant with that type of certification. So I understand when they do it. But outside of that, in the private world, nobody cares. When you get certain levels, they're really asking you, oh, uh, when are you going to get this cert? I promise you. I tell people this all the time. So when I've interviewed people, I've been to interviews, they rarely ask me about, oh, why don't I have this cert or when I'm going to get it? Nah, it just gets you through the, it just gets you through the ATS, bro. Right. Like, it, it's, it's, well, that's, it's, hey, that's it's really one, but, it's a really see, expensive way to get you through the ATS. But see, you just brought up ATS, and I want to let you know that ATS is kind of BS too because most recruiters that I know will tell you that most of the time when you got rejected, a human rejected it, not ATS. So that's also why I make resumes for human interaction and not for ATS because that's when you get the BS from out of resume scan sites is, is one of the things that happened to a client of mine. Like, not listening to me just doing crap. Somebody got to read that, bro. Boy. Boy ain't no way, boy. <laughs> boy ain't no way, boy. Somebody boy ain't no way, it, boy. If I would have showed no you what he had on that thing, I was like, man, nobody's reading all this. This is too much. Why do you have all this on here? And every time my kind of mind has like a lot of skills, I'm always in my back of my mind saying, I know for a fact you can't talk to all these things. You just can't. It's just too much. Because when that's the thing. They'll have all this stuff and I'll show them mine. I was like, these are these are the things I have on here is right here, concise to the point. These are my skill sets and I get callbacks. It's not, my resume is not overly done out. Like I got career highlights, technical skills, and then what I, my last, what, three roles. I don't even go back past five years anymore because I don't even want my resume being that long. I could put where I worked on the application if they wanted. So, yeah, you're right I mean, though. Entry yeah, level CISSP. roles. 
is bullshit. It should. Oh, it's not bullshit. Bro. It's not bullshit. I <laughs> it's not bullshit. Uh, but I don't think it should be the way that we measure. I don't think it should be the way that we measure um, whether or not a technical professional can do a technical job. Right. Yeah, man. I learned some amazing things about risk management on that certification. I learned some amazing things about governance on that sort of like studying for that certification. I learned amazing things about just how to how to manage uh, processes as a whole. But it should be showing up on a, on a certification for engineers, man. Um, it should be showing up on a certification. So I don't think it should. I, I don't think there should be any holy grail certification for for any any cybersecurity role. I don't think there should be a holy grail. Uh, but if there were one, I don't think it should be the CISSP. And I will add, not you know what? I'm not going to say that because I ain't trying to fuck the sponsorships up. But I will add that I don't even think the Security Plus, when we're talking specifically for SOC analysts, I don't even think Security Plus is the best certification for that There's another one that is really, really good and doesn't show up on that many JavaScript. Right. You we know probably both agree. We, we all agree. You, I just told a client about this. Blue Team Level 1. Yeah, okay. I, I was trying to fuck, but Blue Team Level 1 is by far the most comprehensive SOC analyst certification um, that's out Facts. there. And there's another one called, uh, uh, whenever I get done with the AWS security specialty, if I have time, I'm going to prepare for it and actually review it. Uh, Cyber Defenders. There's a new one out. It's probably similar to that. Check that one out. Uh, I talked to the guy. I think that may even made it or something like that. But yeah, look for practical ways to gain these skills that you want to do when you're trying to get into cybersecurity. But I got one last thing that we want to touch on because it's actually going into what we're talking about. So it's perfect. I'm going to try to present it and should be able to hear this when I present it. Let's do this. All right. Can you see it? Yeah, I can see it. All right, bet. Let's see if you can hear this. Security tech company. How much do you make? I make about 135. If you've been considering pivoting into tech, cybersecurity is one of the most lucrative areas that you can go into. Doing a quick search on LinkedIn will show you many cybersecurity entry-level positions, including Home Depot, Microsoft, and Tesla. Let's look at three certifications you can get that can help you get into cybersecurity, making well over six figures. The most popular option will be the CISSP, which you can see here can get you positions that are making well over six figures or just at six figures. My favorite, Coursera, can help you prepare for the exam by taking the Google IT Support Professional Certificate, which offers a dual badge for CompTIA. The exam costs $232 and no experience is required. Next, and one of the most popular is the Microsoft Fundamentals Certification. Free preparation is provided on Microsoft's website, no experience is required. Last but not least, we have the AWS Cloud Practitioner Certification. Free preparation is available on the AWS website. Invest in yourself and take one of these courses. Follow me for more tips. And I have a, I, I made a, uh, a <laughs> in his video one day. I couldn't stitch it, right? But oh, this is, these are the issues that the people who watch us are seeing. 31,000 people like that video. Of somebody that just read some Man. stuff and stuff that didn't go together. You went from CISSP, Google Cloud IT Support Professional, Microsoft Fundamentals, then you said AWS Cloud Practitioner. Those things don't coincide with one another, and they're not going to be what gets you in cybersecurity. But this is why how you know who's in it and who's 
has a TikTok. Uh, who has a TikTok persona, and they just putting out information because people are going to click on it. And no disrespect to that young man. I think he's in product management or project management. He does probably a good job in that. But when it comes to what we do, this is the uphill battles I face of, of people just listening to stuff based off of follower count, not off of experience. If we would put that, hey, don't listen to somebody based on their follower count. Listen to them based off of experience. That's the sound bite. Because we see this too many times. I have more TikToks to do and we'll probably do that the next episode, but that's all we that gotta episode. do a, a straight TikTok episode. We might, I might have like we might have like we might do that live. That might a live TikTok reaction stream. We will probably do because drop, it's needed. Drop, drop 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 a clock in the in the comments if you want to see a live TikTok yeah. reaction episode. Right, right, right. <laughs> but can I can I speak on this, bro? Yeah, definitely. Let me get the floor is yours. So, first and foremost. The CISSP is not an entry level certification. I repeat, and I'm not talking. I'm not talking about the difficulty of the test. I'm not talking about oh, you got to be cream of the crop. I'm saying, do not get that certification as your first certification. It, it is not an entry level certification. It is because what's going to happen is you're going to get that certification. And you're going to go apply for jobs that, that that have the CISSP listed. And they're going to tell you you don't have enough experience. And then you're going to be sitting there like, damn, I got a CISSP. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't have no. The CISSP is not an entry level certification. Second, second thing. Microsoft Sentinel, Microsoft Azure has like improved in like leaps and bounds when it comes to security. Um. And you need to know the fundamentals of IT to work in security. That certification is not on its own going to get you a cybersecurity job. Same for the AWS practitioner. On its own is not going to get you. Stop pushing certifications like all you have to do is get XYZ certification and you're going to get a six-figure job. Certifications do not work that way. They just don't. And we, I mean, we have to stop attaching career advancement in cybersecurity to these certifications. They don't do it alone. You're going to go sit in front of a hiring manager and they're going to ask you questions that aren't on this certification test. And not only that, you devalue the certification when a bunch of people go get it who don't have the experience or the knowledge to back it up. Like, bro, we got, man, we have to stop. It, it, it's, it's one of the reasons, AD, I've told you this. It's one of the reasons why I never asked, answer the what certification should I go get question. I never answer that question. And for anybody who's out there who's listening, like, please feel free to reach out to me about any questions on cloud security and detection engineering. I will not answer the what certification should you get question. Listen, and you forgot one big thing. Another other reason why we don't care about certs. Those people, and we're not going to say what race they are, that are in your inbox trying to say, are you looking for a certification? We can get you all certifications. They exist. And they are one of the reasons why certs have been devalued. I have to wake y'all up real quick because I'm going to say it again. They are one of the reasons why certs have been devalued. Now, what he just said, he probably... Don't cheat on your certs. Listen, Eric is probably not even familiar with one of the episodes that I said the same sentiment he said about you have to get approved to even take the CISSP. 
So that's what I'm saying. When you have to listen to people, you can't just go out and take it. Somebody got to sign off yeah. on it. Like even if I go to another, a- another. Let me let me add to that though, HD, because I want people to understand this. It's not just somebody has to sign off on it. Another CISSP has to give you their ISC squared ID, and they're basically doing an attestation that you're ready. If for some reason you get audited and you're not ready, that person also loses their credentials mm-hmm. for endorsing you. It's it's not a sign off; it's an endorsement. Right. So, like, say for example. If HD come to me and be like, hey, man, will you be my endorser for my CISSP? Sure thing, bro. No problem. One of his clients who just started in cybersecurity comes and be like, hey, HD, will you endorse me? He puts his ID on there saying, hey, I can attest to to this person's credentials and experience. If that person gets audited and say, hey, we, we, we went back and we realized and you and you can get audited. You can't mm-hmm. get audited. They can't go back and say, hey, we need to talk to every one of your employers that you listed. If that person gets audited, HD can lose his credential. So it's not just a sign off. It's an endorsement. Shout out to shout out to my endorsement. Uh, Backpack Matt. That's Fred. What up, Fred? Uh, it's not just a sign off. It's not just a sign off is what I'm saying. It's not. And. Let's go like even a lesser test. Like when I took the crash and burn on the CH years ago, granted, I studied for the wrong test. I couldn't just take the test. I had to prove I had like three years of experience. And then the people at work had to sign down that, hell, he has enough experience to take this test. Not to mention, I think the application fee was like 50 or 100 bucks that I had to apply to take the test. So, Please listen to us and not them. Like I said, always go back and check. Like, I think that person hides what their real name is because they don't want their job figuring out who they are. And I, I totally understand it. But I'm real about mine. I got my LinkedIn in my bio. You can see what I'm about. I'm a content creator. I got a course. I'm trying to publish some more courses. I'm about detailed presentations, giving y'all the game for free. Just listen to me. You know what I'm saying? It'll be less stressful on you. Then you try to come to me later on and worry about why you're not getting interviews. You did this, sir. You got that, sir. But when I look at your experience, no projects, you don't have to do nothing. You can't answer my questions. It's just a lot, man. It's 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 one of those things. It's not a pet peeve. It's actually kind of funny to me. Like, y'all give me great content. Like, I had some other content to uh, talk about, but I didn't want to get on it. But this has really been another spirited episode of the podcast Mondays. Like, eventually, these things will be longer, and the goal is to do these in person. Who knows when we'll have a chance to do one of these in person? It'll definitely be fire. But, um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. appreciate everybody that was rocking with us today. And, uh, if you like the video, please share it out. Leave us a comment. Tell us what you thought about some of the incidents that happened from ATT, Silicon Valley. Do you pull up in DMs the wrong way? You know, let us know in the comments below how you feel about it. And, you know, you already know how to get in contact with me at Textual Chatter on all platforms. Also, you can support the Patreon, watch all our videos ad-free. And there are also different perks that are coming to the Patreon members. We have our own private Slack channel in Slack. So if you want to be a part of the fam, go ahead and tap in. The link will be in the description. E, you got any last words for the people? Hey, follow your boy. The E is for extra on everything. And uh, yeah, let's uh, let's defend the things. <laughs> All right, man. And uh, like I always say, let's stay textual and we out.